This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was read came from the Gospel according to John, the 18th chapter, and the reading was from the 1st to the 9th verse. Let me read these words one more time as God receives our worship. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way, to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. The issue of a person's identity is concerned largely with the question, who are you? Now, while a person's identity can relate to the basic values that dictate the choices they make, for example, relationships or career or passions, on a more basic level, a person's identity relates to how one sees oneself Mm -hmm. and how one wishes to be seen by others. Mm. But while our identity can be based on how we see ourselves, at the end of the day, the reason why we are so concerned about how we want others to see us is because our identities are affirmed by what other people say about us whether we agree with them or not. Well, well. This is the controversy that we see even today mm. as we wrestle with issues like gender identity and the use of appropriate pronouns. Mm-hmm. Am I who I say I am? Or am I who you say I am? And going a step further, am I who God says I am? And how does that even work? If I don't believe in God, who gets to determine my identity? Is it me? Is it you? Is it the government? Is it God? Who? So as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, I want to spend some time talking about the identity of Jesus Christ and the power that comes with being who he is. And to do this, I'll speak a message I've titled, I am he. 
Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you've received our worship. We offer it unto you, Lord, unapologetically and without hesitation. Now, Lord, speak to us, for we need to hear from you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pronouns. There's a lot of talk in society today about pronouns. But what exactly are pronouns? Well, a pronoun is a word that refers to either the people talking, I or you, or someone or something that is being talked about, like she, it, them, and this. Gender pronouns, such as he, she, specifically refer to the person you are referring to. So in essence, pronouns are labels that personify people to aid in communication. Don't miss that. Pronouns are about communication and how we relate to one another. So if people go by he, she, they, or them, your response is determined by how you understand those terms socially. Now, the identity of Jesus Christ has been the subject of much of what we find in the New Testament scriptures. I'm reminded of the time when Jesus asked the question to his disciples, who do men say that I am? As well as that he said, but who do you say that I am? I'm further reminded of the time when even Jesus walked the streets of ancient Palestine and there were shouts from the street of people saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Again, drawing attention to the identity of Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, there's this constant quest and pursuit regarding the identity of Jesus. And that quest and that pursuit has not changed even to this very day. Now, as a pastor and a person who, who adheres to the tenets of the Christian faith, my starting point to even understand the issue of a person's identity is always and will always begin with the Holy Scriptures. That's for me. Look with me again at the beginning in Genesis 1. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Yeah. I added emphasis, a lot of emphasis to the word them for a reason. But there's a little phrase in this text that I believe many people overlook. And that phrase is, so that they. This little phrase indicates to me that being in the image of God and in the likeness of God is intricately tied to your purpose. What are you saying, Pastor? God did not make us in his image just so we could look 
the way we do. We spend too much time arguing about appearances. Who's tall? Who's short? Who's white? Who's black? Who's fat? Who's slim? Who's young? Who's old? And on and on and on. When it is clear to me that as far as God is concerned, how you look is not as important as what you were designed and created to do. Look again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they. So my simple point here is that your mission, your purpose, the plan for your life and mine, though what you are called to do is paramount in establishing who you are and your identity. But the text goes on further to say this, and I hope you're tracking with me. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what are we to take away from this text is simply this. And it's not complicated, brothers and sisters. God created mankind, both male and female, so that Together, they may do something that they could not do unless they were made in his image. Y'all heard what I just said? Let me say that one more time. God created mankind, both male and female, so that together they may do something that they could not do unless they were made in his image. Wow. What a statement. But don't miss the phrase, so that. Simply put, what the so that means, and I want you to hear me in your spirits, what the so that means is that you by yourself cannot be fruitful and increase in number. You by yourself cannot fill the earth and subdue it. You by yourself cannot rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky. You by yourself cannot rule over everything, every living creature that moves on the ground. Now listen, and whether you think you're doing some of these things doesn't change the fact that you cannot do the things that God will have you do by yourself. Yeah. We are social creatures made to be in community and relationship with each other so that we can do what God has called us to do. So whenever we get stuck in this individualistic idea where I believe or I think that I know everything I need to know about me, let me be perfectly clear. You are operating outside of the image of God. Because you can't do all of what you do by yourself. However amazing you may think you are, and you're amazing. However wonderful you think you may be, and you're wonderful. You are a social creature, and you were made in the image of God to do his will. The devil is a liar. He pulls you out into isolation. He gets you by yourself thinking, I can be bad all by myself. And you know what? That might be the only thing that is true about the devil. You can be bad all by yourself. For God works all things together for the good of those that love him, who are those who are called according to his 
purpose. And your purpose and mine is not, doesn't even matter if it's outside of the will of God. Are you hearing me? I'm just saying. You got to do things God's way. You are made in his image to do his will for him. And you need other people in order to do it. As amazing as I might think I am, and I think I'm amazing, I can't be half as amazing as I can be without my most amazing wife. I am useless without her. I believe that according to the will of God. I can be fine and satisfied living in a pigsty and in a muck all by myself if that's what I want. But if I want to do great things for God, if I want to do things that matter in the lives of people, then I better connect myself to the people that God has connected me with so that together we can do God's will. I'm just saying. This is precisely why the scriptures tell us it was not good for man, male or female, to be alone. And to be clear, I'm not talking about getting married. I'm talking about being in relationship with people that are tied to the purpose for which God created you. Mm -hmm. So going back to the issue of identity from a biblical standpoint, and that is my basis from what just the Bible says. You're either male or female, and we need each other to fulfill God's purpose. And while many today may take issue with what I am saying, nowhere in this statement, and I want you to hear me clearly, nowhere in this statement that I just made that you're either male or female Am I talking about how a person might feel about themselves? Did you hear what I said? I'm not talking about how a person might feel. Whether you are born male or born female and you feel otherwise is another issue for another time. I'm not addressing issues of feelings. Not in this message. But whether you, are, whether you feel like a male or you feel like a female or you feel like neither, you can't do the things that God has for you to do without others, male and female. Amen. Let's be very clear. I hope you all heard me. Because yeah. I ain't disparaging or discrediting or even discounting how people today might feel about themselves, whether or not I have a position on it. I'm simply saying, whatever you feel, you feel. But what the Bible says, male and female, created he them so that they can reflect his image. I don't look like God without you. You don't look nothing or reflect anything of God without me. And the togetherness is what the devil wants to destroy. I'm just saying, but he's on notice today. So while my identity is in some ways tied to what I do, at the end of the day, the reason why I am concerned about how I want others to see me is because my identity will always be affirmed by what other people and other people who I'm in relationships with see or say about me, whether I agree with them or not. So how did people see Jesus? Well. Biblically, this is what some people said when they saw Jesus. Simeon, you remember him when Jesus was born? My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for the, of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
When John the Baptist saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Andrew saw Jesus, teacher. When the woman at the well saw Jesus, she said, as perceives that ye is a prophet. When Peter saw Jesus, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Just to name a few. So as Jesus walked in his purpose, all of these people who saw Jesus testified to what they saw and affirmed him as Messiah. You are the one. You are the great shepherd of the sheep. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are that bright and morning star. You are Emmanuel, God with us. When people saw Jesus, they saw the Christ, the son of the living God. And let's be clear, they saw God. So the big question becomes, what do people today say about Jesus? How do they see Jesus today? Well, here's what some people say, and these are based on statistics from the Barner Group. Most adults, and this was disturbing to me, most adults, not quite 6 in 10, just about 56%, believe Jesus was God, while about one quarter say he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad or Buddha. The remaining one in six say they aren't quite sure whether or not Jesus was divine. About one-third of young adults, 35%, say that Jesus was merely a religious leader. 17% aren't sure what he was. About half of Americans, 52%, agree either strongly or somewhat that Jesus even lived on earth. That he was human and they believe, hear this, that he committed sins just like other people. And 56% of millennials are more likely to believe Jesus committed sins while he was on earth. Mm. <laughs> so, so, brothers and sisters, here's what David Kinnaman says. There isn't much argument about whether Jesus actually was a historical person, but nearly everything else about his life creates this enormous debate. The takeaway here, brothers and sisters, and where I'm getting at, is that... <laughs> More and more people today are becoming more and more unsure about who Jesus is. It's bad enough that the people around him who walked with him were concerned. But something is to be said that after all of what he has said that has come true, even on this Resurrection Sunday, there are still more than half the people around us who are still questioning whether or not, not only did he even live, but is he really who he said he was. So, what about you? Who do you today say that Jesus is? The question is just as relevant today as asked by the disciples. But as for me, and I want to be clear, here's what I see, and here's what I say. Talk about me. Jesus is God in human form. No ambiguity, no hesitation, no shame, no guilt, no controversy. No uncertainty, no doubt, no questioning, no prejudice, no ulterior motive, no agenda, no scheme, no double talk. Jesus is God in human form. And if for whatever reason you today may have some kind of trouble making that same declaration, then maybe, just maybe, you need to examine yourself. You don't have to believe what I believe. You don't have to believe what I believe. But you must be clear 
what you actually believe. Don't pretend, but be clear about what you believe. My mind is free, and my mind is clear. So let's now go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The text tells us Judas, who was betraying him, knew the place. Because the disciples had often met there. And Judas brings this whole Roman army, this cohort with him, and all of these people, and Judas and them are walking now, looking for this Jesus. And they asked the question. Jesus didn't even wait for them to find him. He found them. Who are you looking for? It's a question of identity. Who are you looking for? Whom do you seek? Then came the reply, looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Brothers and sisters, this may not seem like a big deal to you, but I want you to see something very clearly. If I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I was the one inquiring, and Jesus finds me and says to me, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for, Marriott? Who do you seek? My answer would have been, Jesus the Messiah. It's subtle. Do you see the difference? Those people were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. But I would be looking for Jesus the Messiah. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters, because if you read John, the first, first chapter in the 43rd verse, you find exactly what the people of that day thought about Jesus. Watch what the text says. I'm not making this up. <laughs> I tell you, you gotta, you gotta read the Bible. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. <laughs> Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, hey, we found the one. The one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see, Philip said. Can anything good come from Mount Vernon? Come on, preacher. Come on, preacher. Can anything good come from fill in the blanks? So when people saw Jesus of Nazareth, they were looking for someone other than the Messiah, for they already had in their minds programmed that nothing good can come from Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what exactly you're looking for, but people today are still not looking for Messiah. Today, people are looking for self-indulgence. Today, people are looking for self-aggrandizement. Some people are looking for self-satisfaction. Some people are looking for fame and celebrity, looking for achievement, looking for everything else but Jesus. Some people are even looking for Kim Kardashian. I just made that up. I don't know why, but I just made that up. What good can come from what you are seeking? Because I'm telling you, if you're looking for anything other than the Messiah, then what you find, you will be sure that it ain't good. Unless it's Jesus. But Jesus was in the right place at the right time, to fulfill the purpose for which he came. He knew who he was, and he knew what to do. So Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? And the reply came, Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus said, I am he. At this response, the text tells us, all of them, 
Judas and all those Romans, it said they drew back. And the text says, read it, fell to the ground. So I wonder to myself, did Jesus say it loud? Let's play it out. Whom y'all looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he! Can you see Jesus doing that? He didn't shout. I don't think so. But I think it went more like this. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Did y'all see the difference? I am he. My brothers and my sisters, on this Resurrection Sunday, with all the questions our society has about identity issues, with all the uncertainty about who Jesus is today, with all the doubts and misconceptions surrounding faith and the gospel, with all the challenges to our faith tradition and the things that we value, with all the ambiguities that people have about gender and heaven knows what else, I want you to know today that when you stand firm in who you really are, and walk confidently in your purpose as a man or woman created in the image of Almighty God with a purpose tied to all things working together for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. When you are confident in this one thing that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus, then make no mistake about it. All of your enemies will have to draw back and fall to the ground. <laughs> when Jesus said, I am he, it was a declaration of his divine authority. Rooted, rooted in the confidence of his identity, which was affirmed by the Trinity. Y'all remember when he came out of that water after John the Baptist baptized him. Jesus says, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Brothers and sisters, when God affirms you, when God says you are created in my image, when God says you are the apple of my eye, when God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, when you agree with God, devils flee. When you agree with God, yeah. Satan is terrified. Yeah. When you agree with God, your enemies are horrified. <laughs> when asked, are you Hugh Marriott? Are you Hugh Marriott? The response is not, I am. I am he. Our identity, and I want to make sure you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. The he is an acceptance of the divine order that God instituted from the beginning of creation. And my willingness to accept the identity that of God's design in his design will for my life. Yeah. I'm saying a whole lot, but I want you to hear my heart and my passion. I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about me. I am clear 
Because I guarantee you that people who are challenged with what they think or believe about themselves and what they're telling other people are probably more miserable than you know. Come on, preacher. And no one has the courage to say it. Yeah. I am clear. I am he. Yeah. Our identity may be acquired indirectly from parents and peers and other role models. Children come to define themselves in terms of how they think their parents see them. If their parents see them as worthless, then they will come and define themselves as worthless. What we are telling people that we see about them is causing them to believe what you say and not what God says. I can call you worthless. I can call you a good for nothing. I can call you any name under the sun. But only if you believe it. That it takes on power. So I'm telling you brothers and sisters. Who are you? And if you don't know. Ask the one. Who created you. So. Are you today. Choosing to be affirmed. By what the world thinks about you. Or will you choose to be affirmed by what God says? Only you can answer that question for yourself. But as for me, as for me, I am he. Now, one of the things that I love about Jesus as I get ready to close is that he always has a way of making sure that however lost people might feel. I'm talking about feelings now. Whether they are affirmed in their identity, gender or not. Whether they are confused about all of society's labels and categories. Jesus serves as the great equalizer in this world. This is what the text says. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I have not been trained in the psychological nuances of what drives people to be uncomfortable with their self-image or their self-esteem, even though I am convinced that much of it has to do with the traumas that people experience in their lives. And even if you think you've not been traumatized in some way, just be black long enough. And you will see how that impacts your own identity. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. We got black folks who they were just wishing they were just a little lighter so that they can pass. I'm talking the truth to the church. We are all traumatized in some way. It may not be along gender lines, but it's along some line. But where I'm going is this. The fall of Adam and Eve in that other garden called Eden was about as traumatic an event as one could imagine. And that trauma event, we know it as original sin. And it plagues every single one of us today. (laughs) But here's the good news. Here's the good news, Walter. When Jesus stood in the latter garden called Gethsemane, before those who would accuse him and then he declared, I am he, he took on the identity of the Godhead 
and began the process of restoration from the fall from that other garden. So my brothers and my sisters, as we think about the resurrection of our identity as people made in the image of Christ, which garden are you in? And who are you looking for? For whomever you seek after is whom you will find. And Jesus stands today asking all of us the same question. Whom do you seek? Are you seeking Jesus of Nazareth? From the place where nothing good comes from? Or are you seeking Jesus the Messiah? The one who makes all things good. <laughs> For as Jesus asks you the question of whom you seek today. If your answer is Jesus the Messiah. Then I'm going to take my pastoral liberty. And say to you his response. I am he. And you too will receive the power as you fall to your knees. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.